for our message today, uh, the series we've been going through. Um, I'm going to continue on the, on the series that I've been on. Uh, it's based on the book, The Other Half of Church, and, and how it's teaching us how we, being made in God's image, Genesis 1.27, and being formed into the image of Messiah, Romans 8.29, how, how that requires us to form godly character. Not just knowledge of God, okay? We need knowledge, but we also need character. And it's also connecting us to the Matthew 28 Great Commission from Yeshua, and how our job as disciple makers is not just forming and building knowledge of our disciples, but building the character of our disciples that we're forming. Because knowledge is one thing, but character, sometimes we assume it develops, but it doesn't necessarily develop. And one of the reasons is, is that we don't put much emphasis on character development, typically within our congregational settings. Often we focus on times of just building knowledge in our classes, <clears throat> in our sermons right now, or in our Torah study, and we assume that because someone learns something, they will, it will transform their character, but that is not always the case. We've learned that uh, our character changes, though, through love first, through God's love for us. He, he loved us first, and then our obedience comes after that, when we our love, we know and accept his love first. We saw how there's this element of joyful relationship that truly fills our tank and enables our character transformation. We know that God's face shines upon us, and, and it's throughout Scripture, it says that God's face shines upon us, and his face shining upon us helps us to feel that joy, even physically feeling that joy in our bodies. We know that filling us with joy gives us emotional resilience. It helps us to recover from past hurts, from past traumas. It helps us build those paths back to God. It enables us to endure suffering together. Enduring suffering, just as Yeshua did, who endured the cross for the joy set before him. Okay, we've looked at joy, that, that word in Hebrew, simcha. We've looked at the, this, also this other word called hesed, right? This hesed is that deep, connecting, relational, attachment, love. Okay, these are the two crucial missing ingredients in character growth. These are the two ingredients that we, we've been focusing on. And we talk about this attachment, this hesed attachment, and how it's the attachment to Yeshua that produces the obedience in us, produces the change in our lives. But there are many congregations as a whole that are dangerously low on hesed love. And Yeshua really warns us against that. We looked at Revelation where he talked about the warning against the, the congregation that had lost their first love. Okay? And then last week, finally, we, we saw how there were, one way that Hesed builds character in us is through imitation. That's what we talked about last week, imitation. And, and we become people that are worth imitating and having the character of Messiah by spending time, by spending time, quality time with God and with other godly people. Okay, there are no shortcuts to this. We have to actually take the time to be with the Lord, to know Him, to spend with Him and with, other, with His people. Okay, No shortcuts to that. Now, one of the things I did mention in my last teaching was regarding leaders and how, how with leaders, we need to, as leaders, I need to demonstrate character worth imitating. And it's, it's a really good reminder for those of us, especially who are congregational leaders, but any of us who are in any sort of leadership in our lives, so that would be any parent in this room, anyone who's a teacher in this room, really, most everyone in here is a leader of some way, shape, or form. In some aspect of your life, you have someone that follows you in something, okay? Whether you know it or not, you do. And there's good questions, things that we can reflect upon to see whether or not our character is worth imitating we can think of like, am I an emotionally healthy person? Do I have good relational skills? Do I love people well? Especially people who irritate me. Do I love them well? Am I willing to be vulnerable and confess my shortcomings? Am I actively cultivating my relationship with God? Developing a stronger attachment to the vine, to Him? How much time and effort 
do I spend developing loving attachments with other people? How much effort do I spend serving others? Or helping others to do the same? Do I point people to Yeshua rather than to my own wisdom and the world's wisdom? Those are some really good questions, not just for, for me as a, as, a, as a leader, but for all of us to ask ourselves. You know, and as we consider these questions today, my thesis for us today is that we here can build a high Hesed community, and we're going to be talking about Hesed, building Hesed today. We can build a high Hesed community at Remnant of Israel with intentionality and focus on making our bond in, with the Lord, in the Lord, with each other, making our bond stronger than the distress of our lives, okay? We can build Hesed when we make that bond stronger than the distress of our lives. I've used analogies before about, like, bonding, like gluing things together, right? And how, and the strength of those bonds, okay? So maybe keep that in the back of your mind as we're talking today. You know, one of the things I've noticed, though, after being an elder here for a few years, was that, this is, this is several years ago, um, I noticed that we elders didn't spend the time together to develop Hesed relationships with each other. We didn't spend that time together. And I didn't really articulate it quite like that, that I knew that we were missing Hesed. I didn't I wasn't quite in my vocabulary about that, but I knew it to be true in my heart and in my mind. And so um, about 18 months ago when Zach and when Joe came on as elders in the congregation, um, we started meeting together twice a month. We started meeting together twice a month in addition to our regular board meetings and our times together at services. And, and this time together as elders is something that I really look forward to. I love it um, because I love my brothers I want to know them better. I want to pray with them. I want to be challenged by them. This is iron sharpens iron, okay? It's not always pleasant either. But I want to be challenged by them. I want to pray with them. I want to know who they are. I want to know what God's doing in them. And where God's leading us in the unity of our leadership in the congregation. This is a Hesed attachment bond that continues to grow stronger, and I'm so grateful for it. And when we have a strongly attached leadership, and when we have a strongly attached community, and really I think we're moving towards that here at Remnant of Israel, when we have it, people notice it. They see it. And I think they're noticing it. And I want to talk again, just recap a little bit about some characteristics of high Hesed communities, because they really bring God's people joy. And they really bring joy to people, God's joy to other people who aren't His people yet. That's what high Hesed community goes. And, and it stimulates a desire and a hunger to bond with God and other people. So in high Hesed communities, joy remains high. Okay? Even in the presence of suffering, joy remains high because the bonds are stronger in that community than they are from the distress of the suffering that they're enduring. Okay? So consider the distress that you're seeing in different parts of the world today. Okay? The first thing that probably comes to many people's mind for paying attention to the news is Ukraine. Pretty severe distress there. I mean, incredibly severe distress that's happening there with people. Like, off the charts, distress. And, and think about that. Do you feel a strong enough attachment bond to Yeshua and to your people here such that it would be stronger than the distress you might experience Because if not, then it's probably time to begin to build those bonds. To build those bonds to the Lord. And as I said, there's, there's no shortcut to it. You have to spend the time seeking the Lord. You have to get to know the Lord, not just know about Him, but to know the Lord. To develop that relationship with Him and with His people. You know, but distress from that external suffering, that's one thing. But we also have internal suffering, too, even from our own weaknesses. So in a community that has bonds stronger than distress, one, another characteristic is that people are not afraid to reveal their weaknesses because they know that they're going to receive loving help. You know, John, 
the apostle, he wrote about this in 1 John chapter 1. I want to go there. If you want to start there with me this morning, go to 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Starting in verse 3, he says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Yeshua the Messiah. These things we write so our joy may be full. Now this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and keep walking in the darkness, we are lying and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of His Son Yeshua purifies us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So, so John writes to us why. He says so that our joy may be full. That's what he's saying. So our joy may be full. That's why he's, he says he's writing to us. So that you may have fellowship with us and your joy may be full. In verse 4 there. How is our joy full? Our joy is full when we are in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Yeshua, the Messiah. That's when our joy is full. Yet, we don't have full fellowship if we are holding back. If we're holding back, if we're trying to keep hold of some of that darkness in our lives, we don't have full fellowship with the Father. We're not walking truly in the light. So the question is then, how do we become free from the darkness? And the answer to that question is then, we expose it to the light through confession. We bring it to God. That's what we do. When I bring my sin to the Lord, I'm exposing it to His light. I'm revealing it in His light so that He can, he can heal that. But the problem is confession is hard. No one of us likes to do it. It's stressful. It can be humiliating, especially when you're confessing to other people, not just to God. You know, I, it's, it's interesting trying to teach your kids about confession, right? Um, because Oftentimes, what, what they'll say, well, I told God about it. Like, silently, I told God about it, right? <laughs> How many of you guys have seen this with your kids? I told God silently about it. I'm like, well, okay. You know, I, I'll, I'll give that to you. Uh, maybe you did. Um, hopefully you did. But confession is also important to other people. So they know um, that we have confessed before our Father and for, before one another. That, uh, that, that we have sinned and that we have, are repenting of that. So that can still be really stressful, though. It can be very, very stressful, especially if we're confessing to someone who's in authority over us, too. Not just God who's in authority over us, but like a parent or another authority figure. It can be very stressful. And if it's not handled well by other people, it can push people away. It can push them away from God rather than pushing them towards God if we don't handle their confession well. So this, what's the solution to all of these issues surrounding confession? I will tell you that the solution and the answer to that is strong attachment, okay? Attachment first to Yeshua. He's the vine that we have to be attached to, okay? And then also to each other. Attachment to Yeshua and to each other. So we can feel free to confess darkness in our lives because we know that the distress felt from the confession is going to be smaller than the bond that we already have together. That's when I know it's safe to confess. When I know that my bond with you is stronger than, what, than the distress that I'm going to feel from this confession. That's how we walk in the light. That's how we have fellowship with one another. It brings us into fellowship with one another. It brings us into fellowship with God. And the blood of Yeshua, as John wrote, the blood of Yeshua purifies us from all sin. Okay? So, Likewise to John, Yeshua's brother Jacob, or James, he wrote about this in James chapter 5. He wrote that we are to confess our sins to one another, confess our offenses to one another, and pray for one another so you may be healed. And again, really, we're only able to do that, what Jacob describes, in a place of trust with one another. Um, in that relationship that offers hesed love, offers restoration that's going to overcome the distresses that we're going to feel. And we will feel that distress. We have to walk with each other through that distress. And so we, we want to know, we must know that our community is going to walk 
with us, hold us. Sometimes we actually need to be held because we're so crippled that we can't even walk on our own back into the light. We actually have to be held and helped. Like, have you ever seen somebody walking off a sports field under the uh, support of two people because they can't actually walk on their own two feet? Sometimes that's what we have to do with each other, to walk back into the light, to bring each other back into the light. We have to do that rather than just saying, you know, here's the light. You're in the darkness. Shame on you for not being in the light. That's not very helpful. Not very helpful at all. And that's what pushes people away. They're not going to come back on their own that way. We have to bring them and invite them and welcome them back into the light. And that's a characteristic of a high hesed community. We have joy and confession of weakness. But the ultimate proof, too, of a high hesed community is when we love our enemies, too. So there's three things. Joy, there's confession of weakness, and there is loving our enemies. Okay, as Yeshua taught us in Matthew chapter 5 and, Matthew, and in Luke chapter 6, we're to love our enemies and pray and do good for those who hate you and persecute you. And then there's Proverbs chapter 25 that says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. You, for you will heap coals of fire on his head and Adonai will reward you. Now, when it comes to loving our enemies, it's kind of hard typical that we want to get back at somebody, right? It's typical that I want to get back at somebody. I want to have retribution, revenge on somebody who hurts me. But that's not the way that Scripture teaches us. It's not what God commands us to do. It's not the example that Yeshua showed his disciples and the example that they passed on to us. It's, you know, again, that's the way that was shown to me. I mentioned this last week when I saw more mature leaders handling unfair attacks on them, and they chose not to defend themselves. They chose not to get back at those who were attacking them. That was the example shown to me that I was learning from and developed my character, changed that image in my mind. And I saw that how to love, my, love an enemy. You know, one, one of the character traits of a person who loves their enemy because they have that high hesed in their heart and the congregation has high hesed is you have to have this understanding in your character of the sovereignty of God. To be able to love your enemy well, you have to understand God's sovereignty well. Okay? And here's where I'm going with this. Okay? With God's sovereignty in your heart, any encounter with an enemy is an opportunity to express God's covenant grace to them. Any encounter with an enemy is an opportunity to express God's covenant grace with them. It's a chance to demonstrate undeserved favor with other people with the enemy, okay? Because we've received, even when we were enemies of God, we received that undeserved favor. We received that. And so it's a chance for us to do that for somebody else now too, who's an enemy now. Because we know that God has hesed love for us, we can do that for other people. You know, so I want to go on a small, a small tangent down this path that we've talked about uh, the good uh, idea to study the original language. So plug for... Hebrew class, Doreen's Hebrew class. In the Proverbs, a verse that I read in chapter 25, the writer, when he talks about the enemy, um, he uses the word sanaka, which is from the root word sane. Okay? This is, in Hebrew, this describes someone that you hate. Sane describes someone that you hate or one that hates you. This is your personal enemy. Your personal enemy. Someone that the sovereign God, though, has arranged to cross your path. Remember, understand God's sovereignty here. God, in his sovereignty, has arranged your personal enemy to cross your path. Your personal path. Okay? This is the enemy on purpose. Sane describes the enemy on purpose. And unless, because unless God engineered circumstances for you to encounter this particular enemy at this particular time, in this particular circumstance, you would have nothing to do with this enemy. This is who we're talking about here. So he did this. He arranged this particular enemy, this perfect enemy for you, in order that you might demonstrate that upside-down behavior of God's love.
towards them. That hesed love towards that particular person. You're to do for them, give them that cup of water, as it says in Proverbs chapter 25, what they would never do for you. That's what you're to do for them. Give them that cup of water that they would never do for you. He is sane, your enemy is sane. Again, that's the Hebrew. He's the one who hates, and you're called to hesed love for this person, for this enemy. And of course, there are exceptions, right? Okay, so when an enemy is actively abusing or trying to kill you, um, you're not just giving them a cup of water so they can continue. Um, you know, you're, you're turning them over to justice as quickly as possible. But I think you get the general idea of the Proverbs passage, what he's trying to say there. You know, this is your personal enemy. And sometimes, though, we go out looking for enemies. We do. We go out looking for enemies that God has not necessarily put in our path. And, you know, we don't do it for the purpose of loving them, generally. We do it so that we can engage them with fire. We can fight fire with fire. That's what we do. You know, often we can do this on social media. I've seen this so many times. We do this on social media. Just like, is barfing out onto the enemy, whoever the enemy is out there, because we're looking for an enemy to engage them with fire, just like vomiting out all of that filth, really. That's what it is. It's fire. It's not a cool glass of water. You know, we shouldn't imagine that God has engineered our lives so that we must deal with millions and millions or billions of people who oppose him, okay? Perhaps he's going to arrange that, but it's probably not likely. It's far more probable that he has arranged your life so that you would have encounters with certain specific people who oppose him. That's far more probable that God has arranged your life that way. You could probably write down their names. Like Esther could write down Haman, right? Certain specific person that opposed her. Now, he was obviously representing a larger group, but he himself was leading that. And, uh, of course, she's not going to give him a cool glass of water. Maybe she did at that first banquet, but she was turning him over to justice in this case because he was actively trying to kill her. So, not an entirely complete analogy there, but it was a personal enemy there, and she had the personal enemy in front of her. To deal with there. And that's what she engaged with. And she brought the Lord into that as well. So, just that side note, I guess. I'm going to step off of that tangent a little bit. I just wanted to kind of go down to that path of the original language. and Look at that word enemy and sane and uh, think about that in, in relationship to how we love our enemies, okay? Again, God's going to put enemies in your path for a reason, for you to love them, okay? So look for the individual, the specific ones that cross your path and give you an opportunity to love them, okay? You know, there's a saying in the mafia, right? The mafia says, keep your enemies closer than your friends, right? Have you guys heard this before? Keep your enemies closer than your friends? Well, we don't have to say that, but we can say, invert that and say, draw your enemies in close so that you can restore them to God, so that you can give them a glass of water and restore them to God, and then they can become your friends. Okay? It doesn't quite you know, flow like that mafia saying does. I get it, but the, uh, the intent is there, at least. We'll have to come up with something a little more clever. Um, you know, we, the point is we don't get anywhere fighting fire with fire. Okay? We've got to use God's tools to love our enemies. Okay? It's a very personal battle. We need to give them a drink of water, and that will cool the situation down and bring them back to restoration with God in his hesed love, and in his joy. All right, I'm going to step back out of that and talk about building hesed in our congregation. Okay, so to build hesed in our congregation, to build these deep relational attachments, again, I've said this doesn't happen automatically. Okay, um, we have to practice at this. We have to be intentional about this. It has to become part of our DNA. It has to become part of everything that we do. We can't just relegate it to something that we assume will happen, just relegate it to an afterthought, but it has to be a priority in everything that we do. So we have to practice doing it actively in everything that we do here at Remnant of Israel. So I'm going to go over four ways that we can build Hesed. A couple of them I'm going to go over quickly, and some of them I'll spend a little bit more time on this morning. 
And the first one is that we build hesed by reminding each other of it. Like, it's, this one kind of seems simple. We, we build it by reminding each other of it. That we remind that we're intentionally trying to build hesed, trying to build these relationships. It becomes part of our vocabulary that we're speaking to one another. And we emphasize it as part of our worship and our time together. And we emphasize this hesed relationship, these deep bonds that we're trying to build. So whether it's in Torah study that Zach helps to lead, or in Shabbat school that we have kids up there right now learning from teachers with one another, or in Hebrew class that Doreen leads, or in our co-op that meets here, or in our clothing ministry, or in our pantry ministry, or in our community garden, or any other ministry that we do here, that we declare that these are done in the spirit of hesed love. Of trying to, why are we doing these things? We're doing it to build these attaching bonds to Yeshua and to one another. To build those and draw them closer and, and make them stronger and deeper attachments an intention of loving people, even people that set themselves up as our enemies. Okay, And there will be people, people that come in here who have set themselves up as our enemies, that we need to love them. Okay, So that's one way we build Hesed, by reminding each other of it. Another way is that we build joy to increase Hesed. Now, this might seem like, well, didn't you already talk about joy and how are they related? Well, I'll tell you the reason why is that because joy and Hesed are this cycle of amplification, okay? They build on one another. So you practice joy, you build joy, that, inver that then causes more hesed to be built. So hesed relationships make a group joyful. Joy and hesed, they build on each other and in these mutual relationships, and they make them stronger and stronger. They go hand in hand. Joy and hesed. Increase joy, you will increase hesed in your community. I tell you that. Those are the two ingredients that we've been talking about to improve our character soil when we build that, okay? The third one, ingredient, and since we're talking about ingredients, let's talk about food, okay? So we're talking about ingredients, let's talk about food. Sharing food and drink together raises joy and hesed. Sharing food and drink. So we're going to go share some food and drink after service today. It's a great way to increase joy and hesed, but again, it doesn't talk, or it doesn't happen automatically. You know, we, we have to do this on purpose, right? So, God created food for us to bond to Him and to each other, but I will tell you that I don't see this all the time. I go out to eat sometimes with my family, uh, with my wife, and sometimes I, every time I go out, I kind of, I just kind of scan the, wherever I'm sitting, the restaurant. How many times you see people in the restaurant, two, or maybe a whole family at the table, and they're all doing this. And they're like, you know, this is, I, seriously, see, I see that. Or I was in uh, a restaurant yesterday, and, uh, and went for lunch, and I saw a family come in, and three kids, and they all had their headphones on, and their iPads, and they all sat down at the table. These are the three kids. And these kids are like no bigger than this. And they sat down. They're each watching a different movie on their iPad with their headphones on. And their parents pay no attention to them. And they have their food and their iPads. And that's it, you know. They're not building hesed. Because they're, they're just trapped in this other world that has nothing to do with relationships. Okay? Nothing to do with relationships at all. It's not bonding, okay? Even the people that are, like, sitting at the table, like, sending each other funny memes, like, across the table, okay? I kind of get that, but that's a little bit ridiculous, honestly, um, to sit there and do that across the table from one another. Like, come on, talk to each other here, right? I know you're talking to each other. Hannah's like, this resembles me a little too much. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> You know, another thing about food it, that doesn't automatically create hesed bonds is that many of us have a habit of bonding with the food itself <laughs> instead of bonding with the people who provided the food or, with the, or made the food with the God who provided the food or the person who is sitting across from you enjoying the food. You're bonding with the food. And bonding with food leads to food addictions. It leads to unhealthy eating habits. 
I don't need to have an attachment with food, okay? You don't need to have an attachment with food. You don't need to have an attachment with your table, okay? That's not what God intended for food. He, wanted, he gave you food so you could have a bond with him. And so for food to act as a bonding agent, we need to have mature believers demonstrate how to use food to bond and build community. So maybe that's you here, and maybe that's a gift that you can share with other people, is how to use food to bond with other people, to build community with other people. We need to learn to honor one another over food too, not let it be a dividing point, okay? Romans 14, Paul talks about that a little bit, about food being a dividing point. Um, it really is discipleship to show others how to love each other using food and using drink, okay? You know, we see the importance of food, too, in Yeshua's ministry, and Yeshua's life. Even in Revelation, right, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in him and what? I will eat with him or I will dine with him, right? Food, he says, I will dine with him. Okay, and in his teaching examples, he uses food a lot. In the, in the examples in his life, a lot. Um, in one example, uh, he called Matthew to be his disciple in Matthew chapter 9. And what does he go and do? He goes to Matthew's house, right? That's like the first thing they do. They go to Matthew's house and have food together. And you know who he has food with? People who need restoring to God. He has food with people that were, the, the, the religious leaders of the time said, we don't have food with those people. Because they're not worth restoring their bond to God with. Or they're not worth having that bond with me. But Yeshua said, no, they are worth it. They're worth it. So let's go have some food together and restore them to God, right? That's what he's saying. He saw those people who pictured, who saw that external picture of religion. Those religious leaders at the time valued what it looked like on the outside more than they valued the internal healing that those relationships would bring. So we've got to make a pla- the dinner table a place where people can let their guard down they can be themselves. They can form relationship with each other, with you. We've got to be those people first, though. We lead it first, ourselves, and then other people will follow, okay? So that's the third way we can build Hesed is with food. The fourth way we build Hesed, and I've kind of already talked about this, is to share weakness with each other. We share our weakness with each other now. I'm going to revisit this again because this is super important to grasp. Sharing weakness is an essential practice that deepens our connections with, with each other and deepens our connections with God, sharing our weaknesses. Because I'll tell you that concealing our weaknesses, it leads to shallow hesed. It leads to shallow attachments, okay? So in a high hesed community, everyone can share the difficulties they're having the vulnerab- and be vulnerable in their areas of their lives, okay? Now, we all have life things in our lives that we would prefer to keep in the dark. Everyone does. Everyone has parts of their lives they'd prefer to keep in the dark, okay? But being open and honest about our weaknesses, that's a part of God transforming us, being able to be open and honest about these things. That is God transforming us. You know, our culture isn't like this, though. I will tell you that our culture emphasizes our strengths far more than our weaknesses, far, far more than our weaknesses. In fact, um, if you go to... uh, leadership training, what they will tell you is that don't try and fix your weaknesses, just build on your strengths. That's what they will tell you. That's, that is the mantra of the day today for leadership training. Don't try and fix your weaknesses, build on your strengths, okay? But that's not what God tells us. He says that we need to reveal our weaknesses because it's in our weakness His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. So we have to reveal those to each other. We need to have the hesed that the Father gives to us. And and the first person we have to reveal our weaknesses to first is God, okay? Let's, Let's start there, okay? We need to have that hesed with God, the Father, to spill our hearts out to him. 
Um, there's a really good psalm that tell, talks about this. Psalm 62, verse 9, it tells us that to trust in him at all times, you people, it says, trust in him, you trust in him, you people, and pour out your heart in his presence. Pour out your heart in his presence. God is our refuge. That's what it says there. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart in his presence. God is our refuge. So God, we have to be able to spill our hearts out to him first. He, he is a father who already knows our weaknesses, though. They're already visible to him. We know that. Okay? He's like a parent, right? You know, how many times have you been a parent in here, or a teacher, um, or anybody in authority, and you know the kid has already sinned, right? You know about it, and you're just waiting for them to come to you, to tell you about it, to confess it to you, or to ask for help, right? God already knows that. He's waiting for you, for us as his children, to come to him for help. He's waiting for us to come to him. He's welcoming us with open arms. He's looking for us to pour out our hearts to him. So we should be ready to share every part of our life with the Father. We should be ready to do that. But we must make ourselves individually, also individually and as a congregation, we have to make people feel safe enough in this place to bring their darkness to light here as well and with you as well. We have to, again, bring them to the place where they feel like their bond with you is stronger and safe enough, strong enough that it's going to overcome the distress that they're going to feel when they share that weakness with you. And if they're not going to share it with you, the probable reason is because they don't feel like that bond of trust with you. Okay? They don't feel that attraction like people did to Yeshua. Sick people were coming to him. Sinners were coming to him. Failures were coming to him. They were drawn to him because they sensed safety in his hesed. And we need to have that hesed love in ourselves as well. You know, he, Yeshua, he, he modeled that ability to be safe and to have that safe environment. He, he modeled how to even share weakness with the Father and then with other people too. Um, you know, when, before he was about to be crucified, he was in great distress on that night in the Mount of Olives, right? It, it says that before he was to be killed, he, he, he didn't even hide his pain from his disciples at all. He, he said, my soul, and this is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, he says, my soul is deeply grieved. My soul is deeply grieved even to the point of death. He's talking to his disciples because he, he says, stay here and keep watch. Right? And then they fell asleep, of course, but they couldn't do it, but... He was sharing with them. He was modeling his weakness. Now, he did, of course, he didn't model character weakness with them. He didn't have any character weakness, uh, unlike us, but he had human weakness. He was fully human. He had human weakness in his thirst, in his hunger, in having no place to lay his head, in his suffering from pain. He had weakness. Okay? He was modeling that for us. Um, the Apostle Paul, or Saul, he, he provided some examples for us too. Um, if we think about that, he, he was deeply attached to his people. He openly shared his weakness with them. Okay? Um, in his letters to the Corinthian congregations, uh, he said, I was with you in weakness. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And then later in, in 2 Corinthians, he said, if I must boast, I will boast in my weakness. He's, he's talking about his weaknesses there. That was in 2 Corinthians 11.30, he says that. And he repeatedly shares those weaknesses. In fact, I think he was doing that so they would learn from his example, so that we would learn from his example. He does that ten times in, the, in his letters to the Corinthians. He talks about his weaknesses ten times. Okay? It's a pretty good example for us that he's showing that we need to be willing to share our weaknesses. The question is, well, where did he get his perspective on weakness? Where did, where did the Apostle Paul or Saul get his perspective on weakness? And I would say first it was because he knew the past from which Yeshua had redeemed him. You know, in, in his letter to Timothy, and if you want to go there to, to 1 Timothy with me, um, he, he talked about that. He said that, uh, and I'm going to return to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I overturned it, but 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12, he said, Talk, talking about his weakness in his past. Let me see, did I go to the right one? Yes, I did. I thank 
Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. Yet I was shown mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed with the faith and love that are in Messiah Yeshua. Trustworthy is the saying, and deserving of complete acceptance, Messiah Yeshua came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. Yet for this reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Messiah Yeshua might demonstrate his complete patience as an example for those who are about to put their trust in him for eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, immortal and visible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So it was the Hesed love, the love of God, that attached Saul to him, that allowed Saul to have strength that was beyond that was beyond that towering, rotten past of weakness that Saul had. He had an awful past, way worse than probably anyone else in this room, an awful past. And yet, he was able to overcome that, in a sense, because he had a stronger bond with the Lord. He was able to share about it because it wasn't something that he knew that someone else could use to tear him down because he knew that God had already dealt with that in his life. Right? He shared with that first, and God dealt with that in his life. Okay? And God healed him from that and allowed him to use that weakness to help others, bring others back to God. But it wasn't just that, that past that we can solve, right? We, all, we also know that... Uh, he had a current condition too. He had a condition that uh, he pleaded to the Lord about. He had a painful affliction, it says. We don't know exactly what that was, okay? Um, but there was a painful affliction from which he suffered. And when he cried out to the Lord about it, Yeshua, he says, Yeshua responded to him and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. That was the response that he was given. And so Saul was even sharing that weakness and saying, Look, you know, I've got this painful thing going on in my life. It's, it is hurting me and my ability to do, to do probably what he thought he needed to do for the Lord. It, he thought it was probably hurting him. But, and he's like, God, take this away from me. Will you please take this away from me? And, and God's saying, no. No, my, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and, so, and so Paul's sharing about that because we need to understand that too. He understood this. He said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Messiah may dwell in me. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The power of Messiah may dwell in me. For Messiah's sake then, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what he says. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, it is, it's one thing, though, for us though, to sit here and we can talk about and we can read about Yeshua and think about him and, and Saul or Paul sharing their weaknesses about accepting others. It's one thing for us to read about it. It's another thing for us to do it ourselves. This is like easy to talk about, hard to do, right? <laughs> it's, it's one, it, they're, they're two different things. And so, again, I'm going to go back to what I, what I started with, that Sharing and hearing weaknesses requires that bond with each other, that attaching trust, that safe place. So first and foremost, the attachment that we need to have and that we need to direct other people to is Yeshua, okay? Is Jesus, the vine. He is the vine. We're just the branches, okay? If, if, I'm, a, if I'm a branch that's not connected to Yeshua, I can't tell someone attached to me, Okay? Because I'm not going to help them grow. I'm not going to help them restore. Because I'm already dead. Because I'm cut off. It's not helpful. We have to be attached to Yeshua. Okay? So we, we attach people to the vine, to Yeshua. And then we attach people to each other. Okay? So for us to develop this, though, to develop this trust that's needed to share our weaknesses, we have to be courageous in this. It's not easy. So this is where be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, okay? God's going to be with you. Be courageous in this. You know, I must be willing to go first, okay? This is, this is one reason why I have not hidden the fact that I once struggled with pornography as a young man, okay? I have not hidden that fact. 
It was, a, it was a weakness for me. And I praise God that he rescued me from that. I praise God that he rescued me from that. But I know that the enemy could attack me again. And I have to be on guard. I have to be accountable to my wife and to my brothers. And the enemy can't use that darkness, that dark past against me anymore. Because I've already brought that to God. I've exposed it to the light. And he's healed me in the light of Yeshua. Okay? We have to be courageous too to do that, to bring those things into the light of Yeshua. Not only must we be courageous, though, to trust and share our weaknesses, but we also have to be steadfast in doing it again and again and again, okay? This is why Paul told the Corinthian believers ten times, because we got to keep doing it again and again and again, okay? No, but most of us, we have built-in reflexes to hide our blemishes, to hide our strengths, so we have to fight against that, to, to do that, to fight against those reflexes, and we also have to learn how to be gentle with one another when they share their flaws, when they share their weaknesses. We have to receive them with all gentleness. Something that I pray that I'm able to do with each of you, I pray that you're able to do it with each other, to share and receive each other with gentleness. It says in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul is talking about this, and he says that we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, Think about that, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's how Paul describes being gentle. So as we close today, and uh, I don't know if there's somebody out in the lobby, maybe you can go grab the kids. Okay. Miguel, you got them? Thanks. Um, as we close today, you know, some people here might be thinking, you know, well, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe yet. This isn't a safe place, or maybe you've experienced previous congregation where it was not safe for you. And you might be right that it's not safe or it hasn't been safe for you because there's a lot of congregations that aren't safe places. And we have to be that safe place to build Hesed, to share our failure with one another. By sharing our failure with one another, we have to be that same safe place. You know, there's so many people that are so uncomfortable with their own debilities and they haven't really learned to treat people's, other people's shame and struggles with tenderness. We have to learn to treat it with tenderness be keeping God's sovereignty, keeping his mercy in mind with us, in our lives. And oftentimes what happens, though, is somebody will share. This is what will typically happen. Somebody's, somebody will come, and they will share with you their weakness, or share with us their weakness, and then what they get? They get good advice. Oh, let me tell you, let me give you some good advice. This is how you should do. This is what you should do. They give you good advice. Or, or they get shame. That's, that's even worse. They get condemnation. Well, shame on you for doing that. You should never have done that. Okay? It's really tempting to give good advice. It's really tempting to do that. But to develop Hesed relationships and to meet people where they are, to receive them in their weakness with gentleness, you need to stop doing that. Okay? those good advice responses, they're going to pop into our heads. Okay? It's going to be a really strong temptation, but you've got to resist and simply be with them. And give them hesed. Give them that love that they need and fill their joy tank. The advice will come later, okay? That'll come later. It's not, the timing of it is so important, okay? It's not, it's not for right then, okay? So the next time you're at a poorhouse and somebody shares something, don't try and fix them, okay? Not right then and there. It'll come later. It'll come later. Just love them because that's what they need. They need that love. So just want to recap I'm going to recap a little bit. Hesed and joy. I've been talking about these for weeks, okay? I think I started this series in December, actually. <laughs> We're in March 19th now. Um, they're the first two building blocks of relational soil, character soil, that's going to transform our character in Messiah Yeshua. They're two these are two nutrients. They are indispensable, okay? Hesed and joy. They're indispensable. We have to have them. 
You have to have them individually. We have to have them as a congregation. Okay? The quality of our soil, and those of you who grow things in a garden or in a farm, you know that the quality of your soil determines what that soil will grow. And it determines what will not grow in that soil too. So we need to revive our soil in our lives with these nutrients of joy and hesed. And we can build them intentionally by reminding each other of it, by being that example to imitate, by sharing joy with one another, by sharing food and drink with one another, and through sharing weakness in the safe bonds that overcome the distress of confession. Okay, We can do that. And also through loving our enemies and giving them a cool drink of water. Okay? Each of these continues to build the strong attachments, those hesed attachments to the vine that is Yeshua. We, and we do them in, with intentionality and pointing each other to the Messiah. That's what we have to keep doing, pointing each other to, to the Messiah. Okay? So these, what I've been sharing with you, these are the building blocks of hesed. So in our next steps on this journey of character transformation into the image of Messiah, what we're going to look at next is we're going to look at the importance of group identity, okay? Who are we? We're going to ask the question, what kind of people are we? What kind of a people are we? So to close on that, I want to read from Colossians chapter 3, and then we'll be done. So while I'm doing, reading from Colossians chapter 3, um, could I get Aline and Zakia, could you guys go and move this table out here? From Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in tender compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, if anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord pardoned you, so also you must pardon others. But above all these, these things, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfect harmony. Let the shalom of Messiah rule in your hearts. To this shalom you are surely called in one body. And also be thankful. Let the word of Messiah dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, or deed, do, do all in the name of the Lord Yeshua, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.